0: People have asked me how our trip to Belize went, and uh, you know, o- over the next few months, I hope to tell you a lot of stories about it. Um, I first went to Belize in 1997 um, with a mentor who would go on. My mentor would go on to start a, a Belize organization, uh, a mission organization in Belize called The Word at Work, and uh, they asked me this time how many times I've been to Belize. I can't remember. It's it's a lot. Um, I've seen the country change. We, as a church, people who went down with us um, six years ago have seen the country change, infrastructure change. Uh, When we showed up, they were really dealing with uh, the trafficking of of young women seemed to be the biggest problem in country uh, at that time. And we got involved with a a ministry that that wanted to create a a shelter for those women. And uh, it was nothing but a drawing on the boardroom of a lawyer's office. And this time, we went there. And, and it's standing, and it's full of furniture, and the furniture came from LSU, and the way the furniture got from LSU to this women's shelter was the people from Lakeside drove over there and got it, and, and, and took it to another church in Ocean Springs who put it on a shipping container, and then, you know, it's just, it is, it's wild that kind of the networks, uh, the, the things from Louisiana get taken to Mississippi and shipped to Belize. Uh, for purposes in God's kingdom. So um, I, I want to I share a lot of stories like that with you in the months to come, in the, in the weeks to come. Uh, but this morning, I want to invite you to gather around the Word of God. I'm, I'm excited to teach with you the scriptures this morning. Uh, we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel. And, and if you just kind of look just as fast as I can to kind of get us caught back up, we, we saw the genealogy and birth of Jesus, and it was the genealogy and birth of a king. I and mean, that was really the great uh, overtone of, of what's happening in Matthew's gospel, this theme that Jesus is the great king of kings. We saw his his baptism, we saw his, his early ministry, we saw him go into the wilderness and be tempted by Satan and come out victorious, and, and in a way showing that he was really fit to be the great king of kings. And we saw Jesus as, as he went to Galilee to begin the primary place where he would do his early ministry there in Galilee. And... Um, and we spent several weeks together as Jesus went upon the mount and delivered the great sermon on the mount. And ever since Jesus has come down from the mount where he delivered the sermon on the mount, so that's been about three or four weeks for us, ever since then, we have noticed how many supernatural displays there have been, right? It's been, it's been basically one story of healing after another since Jesus came down off the sermon on the mount, And so the question I have for you to just ponder in your mind is, why do you think that Jesus is performing all of these miracles? Take a look real quick. Let's just, let's just look at why, why it got supernatural all of a sudden, why Jesus is doing all these miraculous things. The first thing Jesus does when he comes down, the, remember, he comes down after delivering the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that, that leper is there, and, 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 and he comes through the crowd, and he falls at Jesus' feet. You remember that from a couple weeks back? And, and the leper makes his way to Jesus, and Jesus reaches out his hand, and he touches the leper, and immediately the leprosy is healed from that leper. And and, and as if we're just seeing picture, real quick pictures of Jesus, the very next thing that we see that happens in in Matthew's Gospel is then there's this Roman centurion that comes and basically says, Jesus, please heal my servant. And and Jesus agrees, yes, I'll go heal your servant. And do you remember what the centurion said to him? This is really important, okay? Look at Matthew 8, 7 through 9. We'll we'll put it on the screen. It says this. And Jesus says to the centurion, "Uh, I will come and heal him, your servant. I'm going to come and heal him. But... The centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so so here's what I want to say to you, friends. If you're the kind of person who highlights or takes notes in your Bible— Underline the word authority. Underline that word right there because all of these miracles are really, really, really about Jesus establishing his authority. The great King of Kings is putting his authority on display. Jesus, you got to think about it this way Jesus, along with God the Father and along with God the Spirit, created all things. And therefore, Jesus. He has authority over all of this creation. This is how Jesus can heal, because he has authority over creation. He walks in, and and you remember he sees Peter's mother-in-law. She's there. She's got a fever. Well, not to worry, because Jesus has authority over all creation. And so Jesus touches her hand, and with the power of the creator, Jesus supernaturally orders her body so that there's no fever. This is what Matthew is, is showing us. He, he is making us witnesses to Jesus' authority. Watch as, as diseases retreat, watch as flesh is restored, and it's not natural. In fact, it's, it's very supernatural. And so so two weeks ago, as as Jim was teaching, we read about how how Jesus is asleep on this boat, and and a storm blows in, and the disciples begin to think, this is the big one, we're all going to die, and they go and they wake Jesus, and what happens? Look at Matthew 8, 26 and 27, just read this with me. And Jesus said to his disciples, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then Jesus rose And he rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled. Well, what did they marvel at, saying, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? What were were they marveling at? They were marveling at the authority of Jesus to speak to creation and bend creation to his will. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? He has has authority over biology. He's he's healing sicknesses. And and now he's got got authority over like the winds and the waves. It's, 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 It's not just biology. It's also the nature. And then last week, if you were here last week, we had a guest speaker by the name of Nathan Cotton in. And what he taught us was that Jesus also had this authority over the spiritual realm. He had authority over the demons. Remember, if you were here last week, Jesus cast out these two, uh, these demons out of these two men and sent all the demons into a bunch of pigs. Matthew's showing the depths of the authority of King Jesus over and over and again. And and, in each one of these pictures, just a further understanding of just how much authority Jesus has. And, And today will be no different. We're going to see an increasing depth in in, in what we understand of Jesus' authority today. And and in fact, today may be the greatest claim of Jesus' authority. In fact, in today's reading, Jesus will claim to have a kind of authority which will offend the religious Jews. But but it will also, that that authority these claims they have today will bring hope to the rest of humanity. So, So do this with me. As we read our text today, all right, as we get up and read in a second, ask yourself this question. If if Jesus started by showing his authority over diseases, and then it kind of spread to his authority over the winds and the waves, and then it kind of spread to his authority over the demons, what is his authority spread over today? Where are we going to see Jesus' authority on display today? So I want to invite you to stand with me as we read uh, the Word of God. It's, It's our practice. It's a way of positioning our bodies in proper reverence for God's Word. We're going to read together Matthew 9, 1 through 8, looking for this place of, of understanding of, of Jesus' authority today. Uh, so before we read, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do come to your word. We submit ourselves to it. Speak to us by your spirit that we may understand properly your word. We pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, amen. All right, beginning in Matthew 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Last week, when we uh, read together, Jesus healed the, uh, the demon possessed men there, and he, he, he drove the, the demons into a herd of pigs. And I remember, the pigs run into the water and they die and all the townsfolk uh, upset that their pigs are lost, they really beg Jesus to leave them. And, and today's reading kind of picks up from there. Jesus is leaving this place where he has uh, driven the demons into the pigs, and the pigs are running off into the water. And so that's where we begin today in verse 1. So put it up on the screens. Uh, it says this, this. Right after that had happened, right after the pigs and the people asked him to leave, it says this, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. So, so what is that city, by the way? We, when it talks about his own city, it's, here it's, it's Capernaum. Because if you remember, uh, Capernaum is where Jesus has now made his home. And it's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's going to be his central headquarters for his uh, Galilean ministry there. And today's story is really quite simple. It begins with a man who was paralyzed. Now, now I think it is hard for us to wrap our heads around what life would be like for someone who was paralyzed in Jesus's day, right? And and I I haven't had the opportunity, maybe you have, maybe you have family that's paralyzed, but I haven't had the opportunity to be around a lot of folks who are this severely disabled in life. I I don't know if you have, but back in 2017, on a trip to Belize, in fact, several of us were told about a man by the name of Albert. Um, Albert was almost completely Paralyzed, right? Uh, he he was—he was in his—he was in his 30s or his 40s, so he wasn't this—he wasn't an old guy. And Albert had, had had some ailments with some curling toes and some things like that. And the people in Belize, the doctors there in Belize, told him that he needed to go in for spine surgery in Belize. In Belize, which, um, by the way, I do not suggest. Like, if you need to have spine surgery, come on back to the states. Uh, don't have spine surgery in Belize. Uh, before this surgery happened, this man named Albert, he had several, you know, kind of nagging ailments, but he, but he was mainly able-bodied. But when Albert awoke from his procedure, he was completely paralyzed below the waist. Um, he was completely unable to use his legs. And now he found himself with his arms completely curled in on themselves. And, and this is not, I mean, he's not an old guy. And, and, and for the rest of Albert's life, he's going to lie in bed. I think when we imagine people lying in bed and being paralyzed, we have a very first world idea of what that looks like of, of air conditioning and home health care. Um, this would not be the case for Albert. Um, Albert has a couple of brothers, and, and they're saints. And they help him full-time. They, 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 they have to go and earn an income too, but then they come and they bathe him and they flip him and they feed him. And it's basically a full-time job for his brothers. Um, and because Albert can't work, I mean, he himself can't work, there's no social security in Belize. And he lives in this poor village of, of Hattieville. And, and because of this, he's going to spend the rest of his life in abject poverty. And by the grace of God in, in 2017, a mission team from Lakeside stopped by to visit Albert. And uh, we, we were there to, someone had told us that, that he needed help, and we were there to build a ramp outside of his home so that his brothers could somehow get him inside and outside the house just to kind of even go out and get some a breath of fresh air. I think we have a picture. If we can put that up there. Um, you can see Albert, uh, he's the Belizean there sitting in the chair, really skinny arms, uh, and you can see some, some uh, much younger versions of ourselves. Um, I see Justin with a really, uh, he looks really big and strong there. He, he's grown really weak and puny since then. Um, you, you, see, you see me without a beard there in the center in the red T-shirt. Uh, but, but you see our friend Albert, and um, uh, God be with him. And it, I, Here's what I can tell you about being around Albert. I was filled with a great sense of both empathy. You know, you're around someone who's got that. You, you become empathetic. But I was also I had this great sense of hopelessness. Albert was never going to walk again, never, ever, and his world was basically what you see there. That's his home, a ten by ten, unair conditioned shack in Belize. Those windows are, are kind of those hurricane windows that just kind of they 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 turn like this, open and close. There's no screen on them. We, you know, we built a ramp, but that's about all we could do for him. And I just have to wonder about the friends of this paralytic in our story. All right, so let me bring you back to the story. Did they experience a similar kind of empathy and hopelessness, knowing that, that this man who is in the story, who's really unintroduced to us for the most part, but probably beloved by them, would forever lie on his mat, and he would, he would forever be depending on others to turn him every few hours to avoid bed sores. And Matthew doesn't give us a lot of details. But let me tell you this, the Gospel of Mark gives us more details. And so let's get some, let's get some details from Mark's Gospel. So, so look with me at Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And this is what it says. Ready? It says this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, remember we told you that's where it was, after some days, it was reported that he was at his home. So in other words, everyone's figured out that he came back. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So Jesus is at his house. People hear about it. They come. They fill his house. They fill his house so much that they're flowing out the door. And it says, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Uh, so the crowd found Zion at the Jesus' home, uh, and all these people have come to his house. They're crowding it. It's Jesus is preaching, it's overflowing out the doors, and these four faithful men come carrying a paralyzed man. I, you have to assume that they're not going to do this for a stranger. At least I am, okay? I'm assuming this. I'm assuming that this was. Friends, maybe family of the paralyzed man. They certainly love this man to be going through all that they're going through. And, but they can't get into the house to see Jesus. The crowd's just too dense. And we don't have all the details about what happens next. But some scholars have suggested that the houses of this time had oftentimes had exterior stairways on the outside that led up to a to a thatched roof that was somehow able to be repaired and maybe had some places that were capable to hold your weight so you could sit up there. But here's what we know for sure. These four men hoist their paralyzed friend up onto the roof and they tear apart the ceiling or of, the, of the house. They tear apart the roof and they begin to lower him down. Look with me. Mark 2, 4. Ready? It says this. And when they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, they remove the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. This is really obvious how much better Jesus is than me because I think that if I'm staying at a house and people tear my roof off, I'm thinking like, get them. You know, who, who are these men? They're vandalizing my house. But that's not Jesus' response. Matthew and Mark both record Jesus' response. It's very interesting. Uh, I want to jump back to Matthew to look at it. It's the same in Mark if you want to read it there. But look, look at Matthew uh, 9.2. It says this. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Let me read that again. This is what Jesus says. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Forgiven. Now, maybe you hear this and it doesn't strike you as odd, but I can assure you that no one expected Jesus to say this. in, in fact, so much so that I bet the room went quiet. I bet it was awkward. It's one of those awkward tensions where someone says something, and you're like, I don't think you're supposed to say that. You know, it just it just it goes quiet there. Uh, and, and I think depending on who you were, the phrase might have bothered you in one of two other, you know, one of two or three other ways. For example, if you're one of the men who had just carried, you know, this, this paralyzed man up there, I mean, you can imagine putting yourself back into that 10 by 10 Belizean shack with Albert. Say, you're, say you love Albert and you decide that you're going to take him to see Jesus because Jesus is there, so you, you hoist up Albert in, in, in his wheelchair and you go down this beautiful new ramp that Lakeside built, or, or, or maybe you, have, you pick him up in a mat and you take him down there to, 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 to see Jesus and you drop him down through the roof. What are you expecting Jesus to do? My guess is the reason that you went and, and, and brought Albert to Jesus in the first place is because you really want Jesus to heal Albert's body, right? That's what, that's what made you motivated in the first place is what made you empathetic. But that's not what Jesus does. Not at first anyway. Instead, when, when, when this paralyzed man comes to Jesus, Jesus is talking about sin. Matthew says, seeing their faith, Jesus said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, now, back up just one second. What is this section of Scripture really about? It's not primarily about the healing of a paralyzed man. If you leave today and, and you say, you know, what did what Tyson preach about? What, he preached about the healing of a paralyzed man. Then you will have missed what it's really about. Matthew is showing us the scope of Jesus' authority. And that authority today is expanded to What? His authority to forgive sins. That's what this story is primarily about. Ever since we've come down from the Sermon on the Mount, we've been witness to to the authority of Jesus. And this is really the most important picture today of that authority, the authority of King Jesus to forgive sins. And here's the deal. Part of the reason that the house had grown so silent when Jesus had said what he said was because the Jews understood that only God can forgive sins. Right? And the Jews, they they understood how the forgiveness of sins worked. You would would go to the temple and you would bring a sacrifice, and God alone through sacrifice would forgive sins. So, so what is Jesus saying here? There's no temple here, there's no visible sacrifice here. Does Does Jesus really think he's God? There were these religious scribes in the midst of the crowd. And those, those scribes, they were wondering those very things. And listen, I can't say that I really blame them. I think if you put yourself there, you, you might have found that, that you behaved in a similar way. Look at verses 3 through 4. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man's blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Here's the problem. In, in pardoning this man's sin... Jesus is claiming to have authority that only God has. And the first thought of the scribes is, you don't have that kind of authority to forgive sins. And it's interesting to think about this scripture today, is is how is Jesus going to go about proving that he has the authority to forgive sins? How how do you prove that? Forgiveness, in, in, in in this case, or, you know, the forgiveness of sins is not something that you can see. There's no visible evidence for your sins being washed away, right? Not on the outside anyway. So, so how is Jesus going to prove what he's done? Here's the logic. You ready? Verse 5. This is the logic Jesus uses to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins. He says this, For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, And walk. The logic is, you know, basically Jesus is talking to this crowd. He says, or these, these, you know, these scribes. He says, "You don't believe I have the authority to forgive sins? Well, then bear witness to my authority over all creation." Which is easier to say, "Your sins are forgiven," or to command the lame body of a paralyzed man with atrophied legs and arms that are bent inward to obey the words of their creator and to once again grow strong. So, Jesus heals this paralytic man in order to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins. That's the main point of the story. It's not that Jesus heals a paralyzed man, but rather that Jesus actually has the authority to forgive sins. There is no more need for a temple or or a sacrificial system on the earth or some earthly priesthood. Jesus is the sacrifice, Jesus is the priest, and Jesus has all authority to forgive your sins and mine. Verse 6, eight, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And I mean, it's really, it's really simple. It just says that he, and he rose and went home. Allow me some observations on this text. Before we come to the table, when I saw Albert in that bed in Belize, I was overcome with empathy. Everyone in our group was. We all wanted to do what little we could do to help him. When Jesus encounters this paralyzed man, Jesus is also overcome with empathy. Jesus wants to do whatever he can to meet this man's deepest need. But guess what? His deepest need was not his paralyzed body. Do you see that? His deepest need was not physical. This man's deepest ailment was sin. We find ourselves heartbroken. Just think about it. We do this. You do it. I do it. My friend Frida passed away this week. She, She died to be with Jesus. And all I could think of was, oh, Lord, have mercy upon her body. When I find out that my friends are sick, like, I, I get such empathy. We're so quick to empathize when people are in bad health, aren't we? I could see myself in one of these four men, the ones who, who brought the paralytic to Jesus. If one of you was sick, I, it would be my honor to come and carry you. I hate sickness. I hate disease. We all do. But here's what you need to understand. Sickness and disease are temporary. They're part of this life. There's no avoiding them, but they don't follow you into eternity. Thank God. That's why we can rejoice for Frida today. You know, they're sitting in her funeral, but hey, praise God, we're the people of God. Thank God for that. That's why when, when our loved ones pass, what do we 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 take courage? We remind ourselves that um, yeah, they're no longer suffering because it doesn't follow them into to eternity. But what Jesus knew and what we need to be reminded of is that sin works differently. Sin follows you into the life to come. The ramifications of unforgiven sin mean that you will not be with Jesus in glory. So, So if you're sick right now, and I know many people in our congregation are, in one way or another, if you have some terrible physical ailment, maybe your body is just failing due to age, or maybe you have a diagnosis of cancer, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot promise you that God will heal your body. I don't think healing the body is the primary work of Jesus. I think that Jesus did miraculous things in order to demonstrate his authority to forgive sins. I've heard of of miraculous healings. I know God has the power to do so if he chooses, but he usually does not. Because the primary work of Jesus is to save people, not when their bodies die, but from sin. So while I can't guarantee that, that your, your, your prayers for physical healing will be answered, I can promise you that if you have faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection, that he will display his power in you and in an act of authority and in an act of empathy and compassion, Jesus will forgive you of your sins because he has the authority to do so. And so I, I say to you today, what a, what a perfect passage to lead us to the Lord's Supper this morning. We all come, and I hope you do, we all come to the table with the knowledge that we are sinners in need of Jesus' forgiveness. We come to the table because we believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And not just the authority, but also the ability and the willingness. And to those who ask, well, where then is your sacrifice? Well, look no further than this table, which tells of the great cost Christ paid for the forgiveness of sins. By his wounds, we are healed. So I think it would be very appropriate this morning for us to take some time, for you to take some time, and for you to do some self-examination, and for you to find the places where there is sin in your life, and for you to confess those sins before the Father, Hear me this morning, the man who has nothing to repent of is a fool who is lost. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me. I'm going to be up here repenting just as hard as you are. Pray that God would show you your sins this morning and ask for forgiveness. But more than that, ask uh, that he would keep you from returning to those sins the way a dog returns to vomit. Let's take a moment now in silent prayer. And, uh, and then I will say a prayer to close us together and we'll, uh, we'll go to the table together. So, so uh, let me start, some, I'll give you some time for silent prayer. Father, hear our prayers as we come before you as your people. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy upon your people. We have confessed our sins before you and we have great confidence knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive them, full of grace, laying your life down for the sins of your people, taking the wrath of God which we deserve so that we might not have to. Christ, your church worships you as they uh, celebrate the sacrament this morning.